Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Rise up! Rise Rise This is the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, all about the Arizona Cardinals and the NFL, featuring insider and outsider perspectives. Enjoy the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Now here are your hosts, Jess Root and Seth Cox. Welcome to Arizona Welcome Arizona Cardinals fans. This is the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. This is episode 240. As the Cardinals still do not have a win and a disappointing 38-20 loss was the result of their game this past weekend. I'm your host, Jess Root from Cardswire.com, the NFL Wire site from the USA Today family of sites. And my co-host with me as always is Seth Cox from RevengeOfTheBirds.com, the SB Nation Arizona Cardinals site. And Seth, recording on a Tuesday night, goodness we thought the Cardinals were better than this, didn't we? Yeah, I think that was kind of what we were waiting to see is like who this was. And um, maybe it was a good thing because it'll reestablish and readjust what our expectations should have been. And, and, and maybe it was a good reminder that this is a, um, this is a, a team that just picked first and that they still need quite a bit of work overall. That is that is the case in this show. In this show, we're going to talk about. Well, there's in addition to the loss, um, there is some news. The Cardinals have already let go of, of receiver Michael Crabtree. Kind of an interesting, an interesting turn of events as we've seen. Uh, we're going to talk about the the move. We're going to react to it. Um, kind of talk about the trends that have been going on with the Cardinals and veteran wide receivers. Um, then we're going to go through the the game. In fact, we're going to react. Uh, we're going to talk about how, what changed for us. We're going to go about the offense and the defense. Then we'll look ahead to week four with the Seattle Seahawks coming to town. Uh, we'll kind of scout them and then talk about matchups that are going to matter and give our predictions for the weekend. So that's on tap for this episode of the Rise Up Secret Podcast. Again, this is episode 240. Um, that's a lot of episodes if you've been paying attention to us or listening to us way since way back when in 2013, uh, that first season with Bruce Arians. And, you know, I said things like one time that I think we're seeing Michael Floyd becoming the best receiver on the Cardinals. 
uh, stuff like that, and and you know we 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 forget about that. Um, but let's go ahead and start. Let's talk about Michael Crabtree. The Arizona Cardinals announced on Monday, just a little bit after Cliff Kingsbury addressed the media, and Michael Crabtree was released after three weeks on the team. He's with the, with the team with a month, three weeks on the regular season roster, two games, oh, what about 30 snaps, and four catches for 22 yards. Um, I was dumbfounded when I saw that. Like, what in the world and why? What was your initial reaction to the news on Monday? Um, It just, you look at it, it kind of made sense. Like, the reality is this is a team that needs to develop their players and, and stymieing that development with a guy that's not going to be around next year that's going to play 25, 30 snaps a game, it seemed like only. Um, you know, it probably wasn't the best way to spend $2.5 million, but it makes sense because, I mean, as you said, he was playing, I think he played, what, 19 snaps on on Sunday? And so, and he caught two passes. So, so why not give those snaps to Andy Isabella or maybe Trent Sherfield, maybe not Trent Sherfield after Sunday, I don't know. Um and, and see if they can, you know, provide a spark that Crabtree, I mean, Crabtree did nothing wrong in terms of on the field. We heard, you know, maybe he was a little aloof in the locker room, wasn't, you know, being part of the, uh, trying to be part of what the team was. But in the same way, like you just got to, you just got to go forward with what you have. You have to understand that this is, Maybe not a lost season, but it is a season where they need to develop talent and grow as a group. And and instead of letting veterans kind of take those those positions and those snaps, you can get some reps into uh, into the rookies and, and younger guys. I mean. I'm not saying that it's that Michael Crabtree was bad and deserved to be cut, but I do think that his snaps where from where they're at are better served to play with a uh, with a rookie that maybe can help this team in the long term. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, the truth is that it just didn't i i felt that it was kind of an odd move to begin with well we we felt that the the signing was an interesting move to begin with and and i know you on twitter said you know you understand the release you didn't understand the signing to begin with and the comment that we made on this show after the addition was how the cardinals signed him um, with kind of the expectation, because this is a team that was kind of in a win now, or or at least trying to compete, compete that they weren't throwing away this year. A team that was that knew that it wasn't going to compete would just give those reps to a young player. Or here's my thing: I think they expected him to be better um, after his production really, really tailed off uh, once Lamar Jackson took over as quarterback for for the Ravens. 
Uh, a lot of people pointed to his role in the offense as why his production dipped or the, the change in the offensive scheme. Because through the first nine games, it looked like he was on pace to have one of his better years, one of his more productive years. And then just the the drops and the and maybe, here's the thing, maybe that wall hit. Maybe that's exactly what happened is that the, the skills diminished or the ability diminished or, or something happened. And this was just a, a, a poor job of scouting by the team. Because here's the thing for me. I get, I get why they would release or wouldn't play, but since you've already got him on the roster, unless he's going to be a malcontent, not getting a bunch of playing time, why not keep him on the roster unless you need the roster spot? Because he has to, you have to pay him anyway. Because he's on this, here's here's the financial part to that. They paid him five hundred thousand to sign. His base salary is one point seven five million dollars, and because he was on the roster in week one, the Cardinals are on the hook for all of that money. They paid him one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars in roster bonuses because he he could make up to a million dollars for the year in in per game active roster bonuses. He was active for two. That's one hundred twenty five thousand. So in all, they will pay him this year $2.375 million, uh, and he caught four passes. It's, you know, they, they wanted him on the roster kind of as a, as a veteran presence, a mentor. Um, they should have known about the personality because Larry Fitzgerald himself said that he's not super outgoing. He's, he's, he's not antisocial, but he doesn't go out and, and vocally coach guys he's there he's he'll answer questions he's Fitz said that what a week or two ago and they obviously he wasn't ahead of the younger players and, and that's a fine that's fine if Demir Bird is going to get snaps over you or Keyshawn Johnson is doing a better job by all means play him if Crabtree's not unhappy you probably are going to need him at some point this year wouldn't you say yeah, and that's kind of what it boils down to is that they just I don't I mean they just they seem to be going in different directions. And and that's that is what I think the problem overall seems to be more than anything is that we're seeing a lot of um what's the word I'm looking for? we're seeing a lot of kind of a disconnect between maybe the roster building and the roster playing type things. And so I'm not sure, like you said, why they cut him other than if they know the, uh, the Andy Lee in injury is like a, a two or three week thing. And they, there's nobody else they feel like they can cut. But, I mean, they've cut Daryl Daniels like nine times already. So, <laughs> couldn't they just do that again? But, yeah, I mean, I maybe – I mean, that might be why. I. It's It doesn't make sense because, as you said, this is a guy that they knew what they were getting. He is – he's already paid. I mean, the money's already there. And then on top of that, if he's – like you said, if he's not being an issue in the locker room, and you know he's a 
he is kind of a loner and, and an aloof guy that is going to be on his own. If, if you know that, um, then why punish him for not being as not being part of the family or part of the group, right. especially when he wasn't with the team all off season. Right. So I'm just, yeah, I just, it's an odd, it was odd to start. Now it's more odd to end and none of it really makes sense. And in the end, they just are like 2.5 million as usual. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing. This is a trend when it comes to the Cardinals and veteran receivers. They've thrown away over $3 million in the last year and a half um, for guys that end up doing nothing for them. Um, part of that is their approach. Um, like last year, Bryce Butler. They signed him kind of as their – all off season. he was working like he was their number two receiver. $300,000, he gets cut. Uh, their mistake to begin with was signing him thinking he would be or counting on him. Like we, we on this show, it was well documented. We have no problem with Bryce Butler, the player, the person. However, to count on Bryce Butler to be more than a guy that gives you, like we, we talked about, he hadn't had more than 35 catches or 400 yards receiving since high school. So it, it, it seemed odd to give him that money and then to expect him to be more than he's ever been. He got cut. That's 300000 Okay, that happens. But then they turned around and did it again this year and signing Kevin White. You know, the former top 10 pick, you know, oft injured, super high talent uh, potential. He gets cut. That's $400,000. Okay. But when you compound that, you've got 300000 you've got 400000 and then you go out. So after all through the preseason, you're talking to Crabtree. You want to get him on, and you know he doesn't like the money the first time. So you go and up the money. You pay him half a million up front. You, you put him on the roster. He, you, you guarantee that salary, and then you cut him. And I think that's the—they don't know what think, they're doing with receivers, do they? No, and I think that's the problem. Is like the guaranteed money always seems to be there. Um, that they're that they're willing to guarantee things that other teams are not, and maybe that's. I hate saying this. Maybe that's just the fact that they're the Cardinals still, right? And so you well, have to understand. Especially after last year. Yeah, and so you understand that they're going to have to overpay for teams to or for players to, to want to come here. But at the same time, I mean, you expect this – you expect this team to know what they're getting when they've – when, so I mean I wouldn't compare Kyler Murray and and Lamar Jackson like side by side as as equals in players. However, there is a similar offensive style in terms of the passing game, um, and what they're asking receivers to do. Again, it's it's maybe not the same system, but there's similarities that you know, are obviously there. Um, and so as you kind of highlighted, he failed in the, in the Raven system being asked to do, you know, do a little more short stuff, quick stuff. Um, and then, you know, the long stuff as well. And, and now, 
you sign him for the same thing. It just seems like this again. We I I think I hit on this a lot over the off season about their lack of of professional or self scouting. Like it just seems like they have they sometimes make moves based on like this is what we should do based on how the maybe the analytics or like what we would think, but. I don't know. Like it just, it didn't make a lick of sense. And now, now you're out two and a half million. And so if you wanted to do something for like a Trent Williams or a Jalen Ramsey, um, it's impossible because I mean, you can, you can, you, you can revamp another contract, right? But it's, it's impossible now because that's two and a half million that they've lost. And, and, and it before, I, I actually had this question on, on Twitter. So why didn't they trade him? Why in the world would they trade for him? Let's, let's, let's be honest. Sure, it would have been nice to have traded him for a sixth-round pick or a seventh-round pick in two years, if anything. But let's, for, let's not forget, this was a guy who was unsigned a week before the preseason was done. Um, and likely unsigned mainly because of his price. He had so he had some looks. Um, so now he's well, under I mean, the contract. So why why would another team who already didn't want him before trade for him and that contract and give anything up? Well, and the Cardinals had already kind of you know, gauged his price and decided not to pay it. So when you look at it, then they, then they decided to pay it. Like that doesn't make a lick of sense, right? Oh, it doesn't. But so here we are again, the Cardinals, the Cardinals now are going to be relying on a very young receiving core. That's just how it's going to be. And you know, early returns or it's okay. They've got Larry Fitzgerald, you got Christian Kirk, and then Demir. Well, Larry Fitzgerald, obviously, with all the experience. Demir Bird is your next most experienced guy in terms of years in the league. No, number one wide receiver, Demir Bird. Let's not forget that. In terms That's of right, snap, number one in snap snaps. Especially look at now. He continues. It's, it continues to be a revelation just how the Cardinals view Bird, because he was. He was a, a guy, he, he was when he was added to the roster, it was one of those, oh, they just added a guy to the roster. Like, no one, like, I don't think there was a single person in the media, myself included, who thought that was going to be anything other than, you know, they just added a young guy. Okay. He's return, a young guy. He'll return. get cut in green camp. But then yeah. he was getting first-team reps all through the offseason. He was getting first-team reps in training camp and the preseason, even though we we're like, well, it didn't look like there was a place for him on the roster yet. Obviously there is. He is a critical part of this offense because of his speed. He's apparently um, uh, this first, a new iteration of JJ Nelson only, I guess a little better. Well, and I think a lot of it comes down to, they just, you know, they don't have, so you have Kirk, who's kind of like a, I mean, we've talked about it before. He's probably like a Randall Cobb type player, like a slot guy that can, that can move outside, win outside, but like, he's better, he's better at, at the intermediate and, and, and catching it short and, you know, making moves and stuff like that. Fitz is, 
I mean, Fitz is a deep threat, but it like a like a fifty fifty deep threat type of guy. Like he's not going to be a guy that runs away from people. And then all you know, we've seen him kind of be that pseudo tight end as well. Um, and then they don't really have. I mean, Keyshawn is kind of a, a you know a young Fitz in terms of like he plays like Fitz now in terms of not necessarily gaining a ton of separation in his route. So he's kind of a 50-50 guy and, and not, he not really... A, he's, he's a better version of Michael Crabtree, essentially, which is why right. Crabtree got cut. But they signed him right. in the first place because they they didn't want to have to count on Keyshawn. Right, and, they didn't, and so the two guys they drafted that were kind of the downfield threats, apparently they're not happy with how Andy Isabella catches the ball because he's a body catcher. And then... I mean, although that was like 100% on film the entire time, I don't know why that's a surprise to anybody in the in the front office. And then and then obviously Hakeem Butler got hurt, but I mean he was playing kind of like that four or five receiver. So so like Bird has basically become your like de facto third receiver um, because of the speed and the ability to like win in one on ones. I mean, so go back to and by the way. You know, this is going to get nerdy, so just kind of indulge me for a second. Um, you go back to the game, and, and they they ran a play where they had four wide trips to the left of the quarterback, uh, Keyshawn Johnson to the right, single wide receiver. Then they motioned out in um, they motioned out David Johnson into that trips package. So they had quads kind of stacked in the diamond formation to the left and then Keyshawn Johnson to the right. I looked at my wife and said they're going to run a slant to Keyshawn Johnson. And what do they run? A, a slant to Keyshawn Johnson. So so all of a sudden they're showing tendencies. Like you're seeing like, okay, they're going to go slant away from the diamond package. That's what they've done in that, in that quad set three times, I want to say. And then – they come back to it later, go to the opposite side, same thing, but they have Demir Bird there, and he makes the catch. And so I think that's kind of what the difference is right there. You have a guy in in Keyshawn who's not going to win. I mean, he's just not going to win that quick battle where Demir is. And so that's what we're – that's where we're at and why we're seeing so much Demir Bird and why he's kind of emerged as that, like I said, that wide receiver three um, because he is kind of the only guy. I mean, Isabella can do it too, but right now he's the only guy that's getting playing time that's able to kind of win short, intermediate, and deep, whereas like Kirk is, is more of a short and intermediate, and then Fitz is kind of a – I mean, I don't mean to disparage Fitz at all because he's still the best receiver on this team, but he's he's not really a true deep threat. Like, he's good for a deep play and making, you know, spectacular catches on deep throws, but he's not exactly going to take the top off a of defense. So Right. He, um, he's not he, – he's getting open, but he's not doing it from the border near the sidelines. It's right. near the seam. It's, yeah, kind of running that seam or running, you know, running – those flag routes towards what would be the pylon at the midfield line and, you know, catching 40 yard 
throws. And so those are, you know, that's kind of what you're seeing right now is that Bird is their only kind of three-level guy where they have, like I said, they have Kirk, who's your first and second level. And Fitz is kind of just Fitz. I mean, like like we said, he's, he's, he's still a wide receiver, but he's basically like a glorified H-back tight end at this point in terms of, of like athleticism um, in, in taking the ball down the field. Uh, he's still nuanced and able to get open and, and uh, the best route runner on the team. Uh, but, you know, when, when it comes to like that breakaway speed or, you know, that, pl- you know, go back to the Super Bowl where he's going to run away from people, that's not going to happen anymore. He's a guy that's going to catch the ball and, basically be down where he catches the ball i mean even the touchdown was he had to run through some people um because he's just he's not i mean he's 36 that that's what happens when you get older you just slow down cut on next on the rise up seat red podcast we're going to move on from the talk of the receivers and michael crabtree we're going to talk about the game what was our overreaction overall reaction to the loss and did expectations change a little bit that's cut on next on rise up sea red Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We're back on the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. And the Cardinals lost 38 to 20. Uh, the first two weeks of the season had positivity. The, the comeback and tie in week one. The competitive loss in week two it felt like it was everything was on track in terms of progress that they would come home and get a win they didn't and they they did some things better but then in the end things fell apart did anything change for you in terms of how you view this team and what was your overall reaction just overall without going too many specific what's your overall reaction to it I think you just look at it and they showed that they're just not ready to compete yet. They still have far too many flaws on both sides of the ball. And that is unfortunate, but I, I told you off the air, I think it was a good thing to remember or remind us that this was the worst team in the NFL, a historically bad team offensively, and they're still trying to get better as opposed to, oh, they're better. So I think that was kind of the biggest thing for me. For me, it was it was like a kick to the – a punch in the gut because, you know, no, I knew it. Going into this year, I didn't know what to expect. But 
in week one, getting coming away with the tie. That, that, that felt that felt good. It, it felt good. Well, now you're not look getting at it and, not and getting the Lions killed. Are good. Yeah, they, and they are. That that's the thing. So those those games against Detroit and Baltimore look look solid. Their performances look solid. Um, the the loss and not getting jack stomped by the Ravens and it you came back okay. That's a that's a road game. It's a ten o'clock start um, against a team that just jack stomped another team. All right. The next step it was okay. They should now with Cam Newton out. They should against a struggling Panthers team be able to come home and and get a win. And you know we felt that there was the potential of picking two three wins to start the season, and just felt like a punch to the gut because especially because they started well offensively. They played well early. They put up points. They they got over that slow start thing, but then things fell apart. They couldn't stop the running game. They couldn't stop Kyle Allen. Defensively, things were bad. And so I, I it, it it forces me to resettle and think, because there was optimism. And I, you know, you're going to catch me. I'm going to fall for the good things every single time. I've been a Cardinals fan for a long time. I'm super optimistic. And like, I'm going to fall for it. And I fell for it. But now I'm like, oh, well, if they, if they lose to the Panthers... Are they, when are they going to get that first win? Because the, the, the Bengals are bad. Like Seattle, they haven't beat Seattle at home since Russell Wilson was a, <laughs> making his NFL debut. Uh, then you've got the Bengals. The Bengals are bad, but they're on the road. Then you've got... You're looking at potentially like, oh, when are they going to get that first win? And are they going to look better than last year's team and be potentially worse? on like in terms of record that's now that's in my mind i think there will be progress i i the first two weeks aren't a fluke but i think the building blocks it was happening it was happening too easy and uh you know it's disappointing but yeah i i get i need to step back and go all right let's be reasonable Three one and one. It was never going to happen, even though it, I wanted it to happen. Yeah, and again, I just think it comes down to this is a team that just lacks high end talent. I mean, when you look at the offense, who would you say is their best player? Oh, geez. Would you say it, it, it would might you say be Kyler Murray? It might be Kyler Murray. Oh, that's what I was gonna say. Is it Kyler or is it maybe Fitz? Fitz. And e- and if the answer is either of those, that's bad. <laughs> I I mean, is there any other way to describe it? Like, no offense to Kyler, I think he's going to be a magnificent quarterback in this league. But dude started three games in the NFL. And you're saying, like, yeah, he's probably the best player on the offense. Like, that shouldn't happen. Like, Baker Mayfield's not the best player on his offense. Lamar Jackson, maybe he is now. I mean, that's the thing. Like, everybody wants the next Patrick Mahomes, but you look at that offense, like, they're loaded for bear. I mean, they have maybe the best tight end in the NFL. They have maybe the deepest wide receiver corp in the NFL. They had they had before a litany of injuries 
a dynamic offensive line. And then, oh, now now they have maybe the most talented quarterback that has ever come into the league. Okay. Whoa. And, and he sat a year. Well, and he had a chance to sit and marinate with Andy Reid. And so when you're looking at it this way and you go, okay, Kyler Murray or Larry Fitz, like both of those are like maybe the right answer, but it's so, so wrong that they're the right answer because you shouldn't have a 36-year-old or a 22-year-old be your best player. Like that just shouldn't happen. There should be enough talent on the roster that you're saying to yourself, like, hey, we need to do this, you know, because it, that alleviates pressure. But that's the thing is they're allowing, for better or worse, and we'll find out obviously in the next five years, but for better or worse, they're basically saying, like you said, Kyler's our guy. We have to let him win or lose games for us. And, and this week it, it was just – it was not win. And it was – you saw – and we'll talk about this more, but you saw him look kind of like a rookie. He didn't look like a rookie the first two weeks of the year. He looked like a budding star. Uh, and early on in the game, he looked solid. And then things sort of fell apart. Uh, as you look at this team now, do you still see it as... Now, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I felt they would stack some wins early and probably fade late. You know, we were talking six, maybe seven wins. Do you still see that potential ceiling for the Cardinals? Or or are we looking, is it becoming more realistic that this is a three, four win team again? I look at it and I just look at the, the schedule and I, it's one of those things. Like if they play like they did this weekend, they're a three, four win team. If they played like they did the first couple weeks, they're a team I mean, the the third, you know, second half of game one and then most of game two, they're a team that can that can stack wins still. When when you look at it overall, the NFL is really not good this year. I mean, it just seems like a four team race at this point. Like you've got the, the Rams and the Cowboys in the NFC and then it's the Patriots and the Chiefs. And realistically, it might just be the Patriots and the Chiefs and whoever comes in the NFC is playing for second place. And so since the Cardinals only have to play the Rams twice out of that group, they should have a chance in every game. Realistically, they should have a chance. And I think you're seeing that in the Vegas odds still. I mean, yeah, they're a home dog, but they're a home dog at four points, not 24 points like we saw with the Jets or you know, 26 points like we saw with the Dolphins. So I think that's what the difference is, is that there's still talent enough to be competitive. It's just which team's actually going to show up. Coming up next on the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, we'll talk about the offense. What was the good? What was the bad? What are our thoughts on how they things did offensively? That's coming up next on Rise Up Sea Red, the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 
Terms, 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We're back on the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, the best hour Cardinals talk on the web. Let's talk about the good and the bad on offense because there was both good and bad. And the good started, although there were, I mean, the Cardinals came out quickly. So they built, they they scored a touchdown on their very first drive. They got a field goal on their second drive, and they were moving the ball masterfully. They weren't doing chunk plays, but they were just dinking and dunking. They were making plays, and it looked like, okay, this is good. There was I, there was the one concern, nothing. It was it was all very. It was death by a thousand. We we've seen the Cardinals fall prey to this defensively by teams, but it looked really good. Uh, the short passing game was great. the The pace was on point. Kyler Murray was using his legs. It was sort of unlocking that part of the offense at the beginning. This was exciting, and it was promising. What, what, what were your thoughts at the start of the game, like with those first couple of drives? It was, it was exactly what we expected to see this year. This is how we expected the efficiency of the offense to run. I talked about it um, at this notion of running the football and that the fact that that, that passing game really is just running the football. It's just the way that it's just a different way to get the same result. I mean, people were complaining like, oh, you're only going, you know, four to five yards per play. However, what do we want to see from running backs four yards per carry? Right. So it, it was, it was something that was working. It was when they had to, it was when they had to open the offense up and they had to change things all of a sudden that all of a sudden you started to see the, the issues, um, they had the the unfortunate drop pass. Uh, they had a couple of you know they had a couple of bad decisions from Kyler Murray in terms of holding on to the ball too long or looking you know trying to do too much. Um, and so when you watch the offense flow, they were they were flowing in a way that use that short passing game as a surrogate for the run game because quite frankly they can't run block and that's that's a problem i mean the offensive line is an, is another thing completely is they carolina was able to do pretty much whatever they wanted in the second half against them they David Johnson ended up with 37 yards rushing. 15 of those came on one play. Um, and so they ended up with 10 carries for 22 yards and one for one for 15. Um, he caught six passes for 28 yards. I know, so this air, what do we want to call Cliff Kingsbury's offense? Air raid, whatever, whatever. 
it's going to be pass heavy. It always was going to be pass heavy. And he talks about balance. But here's the thing. This is the way balance will come with running the ball. They'll have to. Otherwise, it goes sideways and you have to pass. This is, this is kind of how the formula goes. So expect this. The Cardinals will run the ball some early. They will continue to run the ball a little bit. They'll continue to add to the running game if they score points and if the game is close. If it's if they're a little bit behind, you, the, the running game will kind of disappear. But if they build a lead in the second half, that's when the running back running game comes back. And that's where that balance has come. That, that's, that's the truth about the NFL now. You, you don't have ground and pound teams unless you're the Seattle Seahawks or the Baltimore Ravens. The running game with the running back is is a way to ease the passing game just to keep keep the defenders honest. And then points are made, you, games are won or lost with the passing game, but you finish off those games with the running game. And that's what we're not seeing. And 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 that, I think that's going to tie into the defense more than anything else. If the defense had been able to do anything, we would have seen more running. Now, in the end, they ran from over 100 yards, but 69 of those came from Kyler Murray. And I'm, that's okay. There's no problem with that. Um, but when you're calling, when you're talking about the running game, you want it to be more designed running calls with your running back or or fly sweeps, jet sweeps, that type of trick plays, and not scrambles. If they're designed runs, that's one thing. But if their quarterback scrambles, that's a different story. Um, and that's kind of what they got into is that they were never able to they were never able to settle into a total offensive rhythm where the whole playbook was open. Yeah, and and that was the thing when you when you open up the playbook, you saw a couple of the plays, and and so here's the thing when when you go into kind of the again the nerdy stuff of what the Panthers were doing, they were sitting in a deeper zone coverage, and what happens with that is that it you you either beat it by as just described it you know death by a thousand cuts or you have to have you have to have um deep routes that open up by having them jump those underneath routes so the cardinals had kind of positioned themselves for for that those deep shots and then they they opened up that offense to do so and when they did the two deep shots that they had, and there were others, I mean, don't get me wrong, but the two deep shots that they took were were drops. And so now all of a sudden you've got, let's just call it for the sake of fairness, six points taken off the board. So we'll just take two field goals. That makes things pretty difficult to overcome because this team isn't talented enough to overcome them. Um, and so instead of, you know, going into the half down, what were they down 14 to 10? So instead of going into the half down 14, 13, because they were able to kick a field goal, um, they're down 14, 10. 
instead of instead of a Trent Sherfield catch and we'll just say he falls down and then a field goal and I think that would have made it oh they got a field goal anyways didn't they but you know you're talking about points off the board for a team that can afford it but you're also talking about then if they hit those passes that changes the complexity of how the defense has to work again um because now all of a sudden they have to worry about the deep route. So maybe you get some man coverage. Maybe you're you're seeing different things. All of a sudden, in the second half, late in the third quarter, they got down by eight after that uh, Christian McCaffrey run. And all of a sudden, Carolina knew, okay, they have to go quicker now. They have to find a way to score quickly. Um, so they can't do the dink and dunk. So what they were doing was they were playing a coverage where they would bail on on the uh, on the shallow routes and jump the deep routes. Something that we kind of saw um, on on the second interception. The first interception was just a bad decision by Kyler Murray, but on the second interception, and so that you know kind of change this the way the game worked all of a sudden now you're needing those deep shots and they know it and so they're pinning their ears back but they're also they're also sitting in that deep zone no bait trying to or sitting in that zone knowing that they're going to bail as soon as the ball's in the air because they know the ball's going to get pushed down the field because they can't afford to take I think the two touchdown drives were like a combined 16 minutes so they were hurrying but it wasn't fast paced if that makes sense um, and so I think that's just kind of how it all worked out is that they needed to get deep and they couldn't and then when they needed to again um, Carolina was like licking their chops like we're gonna we're gonna pin our ears back we know this offensive line's bad um and we're gonna bait a rookie quarterback and they just i mean jeez they did it so well and they did and then things fell apart kyler murray um who was making good decisions with the football and was making good decisions running suddenly was trying to extend plays his decision making degraded throughout the game um he was trying to make plays the first interception it actually looked like it could have been okay if 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 Fitz had turned around earlier. I think he makes that catch. Um, the second interception, Kyler forced it in there, um, gambled a bit. Jackson made a play. But he, he started running around. He was trying to make things happen. There was a, a couple of times that it, it drives me mad when he does this because he's done it a couple of times when he when he starts to get near the sidelines and he runs out of bound for a two yard loss, which counts as a sack instead of just throwing the ball away. Um, but then he was he was waiting, waiting, and instead of you know a lot of young quarterbacks who are mobile will bail and start running. We you know Russell Wilson did it, Colin Kaepernick did it. Kyler was waiting a split second late, and then when he would, th- when he think he would be able to go and, and find open field, 
he gets tripped up. So the, the, the defenders would get to his feet, or he was they were able to close in on him. And so the sacks came. Five sacks came in the fourth quarter. Um, you could tell he was getting frustrated. He's used to making plays. It was it was it was difficult for him, and he and he didn't react well. It's a learning experience. The offensive, but it, there was really no good like the second half. After those first two drives, everything fell apart. Uh, the offensive line played poorly. They didn't run the ball. The receivers weren't winning. Kyler was making poor decisions, and he wasn't. And the offensive line wasn't protecting him. In all, it was just a disaster. But that wasn't even the biggest disaster in the game. That's what we'll talk about next on the Rise of Seahawks podcast. The best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. We'll talk about the defense, which was a disaster. We're back on the Rise Up Seat Red Podcast, the best of Cardinals talk on the web, and we will talk about the good and the bad on the defense, and the fact of the matter is there was very little good that we can take away from how the defense played. It was atrocious. Yeah, it was... I, I told you this off the air. It was basically akin to what we saw offensively last year. I mean, this was... I, I think this might have been the worst defensive performance from the Cardinals since the Seattle debacle under Ken Wisenhunt. Because this was a team that we felt like had enough to compete, and they couldn't stop Kyle Allen if their life depended on it. I mean, they literally couldn't stop him. He, he picked them apart. Cause here's the thing. The risk, they don't have a great receiving core. They've got Greg Olson. They've got Christian McCaffrey. You'd think that the game plan would have been pretty simple. Stuff the box, force them like force Kyle Allen to make play. So basically, Take Christian McCaffrey away, which is, guess what? That's what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did last week, did the week before. Um, they Todd Bowles said, okay, you're going to beat us with the pass. Cam Newton had not been throwing the ball well. And there's the other part. Then you send pressure. Stuff the box to stop the run, then send pressure on passing downs. And Kyle Allen had all day now Chandler Jones got him twice in fact Chandler Jones if you look at his stats for the year three games three sacks three forced fumbles it's pretty impressive but he didn't get pressure the whole game the only time he got pressure were those two times there was really no pressure from anybody else Corey Peters kind of chased him out one time Uh, Terrell Suggs hit him once but for the most part he had all day back there and so he picked he picked him apart the run defense was the run defense and you know the tight end defense we've got plenty to talk so the run defense the pass rush and the tight end defense which continues to be a problem it was a it was a recipe for disaster this this was not good at all there there was really nothing good to take away from that except for maybe a couple of Hassan Reddick plays where you saw that oh he made a play in coverage I mean he he had 12 tackles uh, he broke up a third down pass that was intended for Christian McCaffrey, and so you're like, okay, this is this is kind of the beginning. But there was nothing else good. No, and and it was just one of those things where they continued to struggle to get any type of push up front. They struggled to get any type of consistent. I mean, when you look at 
when you look at what the Panthers did offensively, they went 44 yards and a fumble, 60 yards and a touchdown. They punted only one time in the first half. They had four possessions. Three of them ended in the Arizona Cardinals territory, two of them with touchdowns. And then the deciding factor of the game was simply the third quarter. Um, the Cardinals go, you know, come out and score. They go back up 17-14. And immediately the Panthers go on a seven-play, 75-yard drive for a touchdown. The Cardinals respond, and this is kind of where the turning point of the game was. The Cardinals respond with a field goal that, again, should have probably been a touchdown if Trent Sherfield, you know, keeps running um, or just catches the ball. But either way, and then the very next possession, the Panthers enter, are just – broke one to the house and that is that type of backbreaking thing where it puts in your quarterback's head I have to score every time I get the ball or we're going to lose and now all of a sudden you start to press because I mean you look at it you you scored 20 points I mean the Cardinals scored 20 points with seven there was, uh, let's see, two minutes and 47 seconds left in the third quarter. And so it was, it was 21, no, sorry, 20 to 17. And before the fourth quarter started, or yeah, before the fourth quarter started, Carolina had scored two more touchdowns. That's that impossible kind of thing to overcome for an offense, but it also tells me that there's just a defense that that either one thought that, hey, we just need to stop Christian McCaffrey and, and we'll be good, or two, they just weren't ready. And you hate to assume it's either of those, but I mean, there's no really logical explanation for it. Is there? I mean, unless, I mean, I mean the only, yeah, the only logical explanation would be that they're awful. <laughs> they're, they're either awful. They, or they, you know, we've, we've seen it before when the Cardinals face a backup quarterback. I mean, they, they should have come This is the, the, the mentality's wrong. They're like, okay, we've got this. Cause it's a backup quarterback. They should be going, Oh my gosh, it's time to eat. And that's the, they're going to go after him. They're going to force interceptions. Uh, that's what should have happened. That didn't happen. And, and the part that, that's the thing. We all know, maybe the expectations were a little too much. You lost Patrick Peterson, you lost Robert Alford, and it usually is the case where a defense needs half a season to sort of grow. And to get in itself and, and be used to itself as a unit and a scheme and a system. But with the number of veteran players they brought in in the offseason, you felt like that the, that the defense was going to be the stabilizing factor. And it has been far from that. They are, they, before, I mean, honestly, before this past week, they had done well against the run in terms of running backs. 
Christian McCaffrey didn't have a great game outside of the the big touchdown run, but they didn't stop him. It was what was I think outside of the seventy six yarder. It was I think three and a half yards a carry, which is that's respectable. And and against McCaffrey, that's that's good. But you can't go and let them do that big play like they had against the Vikings with Dalvin Cook went for 85 yards. It was the sort of problem they had last year. So and here's my take. My, my feelings after the game was, oh, so it wasn't the scheme. Because last year everyone talked about how the 4-3 wasn't the fit and that's why they were bad. They're a 3-4 and they're doing the same things. They're not getting pressure on the quarterback. They're not stopping the run. They're not covering people. It's... It's a comedy of everything. So maybe Steve Wilkes and, and his defensive coordinator last year can feel uh, a little bit vindicated. It wasn't the scheme. It was just execution and talent, apparently, because that's how it felt to me. Yeah, and and we didn't expect it to be good. So I don't want people to, to say that or to, to think that, that that's what we had kind of expected. We didn't. We knew that this was going to be a transition and a struggle. I mean, Darius Fallon was, was let go. Hassan Reddick didn't practice all camp. They're without their starting cornerbacks. All of those pose huge issues. But at the same time, we expected guys like Jordan Hicks and, and Buda Baker and, and DJ Swearinger to be impact players, if not near elite level players. And whether you agree with like pro football focus rankings or grades or things like that, none of them outside of Hicks have even been like average. So they're struggling because they're they're kind of, you know, thin up front, which we were concerned about coming into this year. But then the guys that they have either invested in or paid heavily are just not performing nearly to the level of expectation. And so you're kind of seeing the, the result of that. We knew from the jump that this that the cornerback position was going to be an issue. There was never a question about that. But if if that is an issue, you should be strong in other places. And while you you're right, you know you take out the McCaffrey long run. And they did a nice job against him. At the same time, it comes down to the fact that they're not doing a good enough job or they're not getting enough from the players that we expected the most from in this first six weeks while Patrick Peterson was suspended. That's true. And well, the tight ends, um, tight ends, tight ends, tight ends, tight ends. They continue to be a problem. Now, perhaps, and this is something I've thought might, might be the issue, because you're having to compensate for the the border receiver coverage that is leaving them more vulnerable 
with the tight ends over the middle. The fact of the matter is, every single time that there's a corner, that there's a tight end out there, it's not even contested. That's the problem. <laughs> so it's not like there, there's contested plays. It's they're almost wide open every single time, or or a step or two ahead of their defender. Greg Olson scored two touchdowns. That's up to five tight end touchdowns in three games. He, Greg Olson didn't go for 100 yards, but it looked like he was gonna. And is like, is there any real solution to that? Because based on what we've no. seen, is there is there really anything else that they might be able to do? Because asking guys to cover tight ends one on one isn't working clearly. No, and it's not. And the other thing is this: every piece that they thought could fix it is not able to fix it. DJ Swearinger, um, you know, Buda Baker, they, they've moved Brock and Chris Jones over the tight ends. And then both linebackers are supposed to be, you know, great coverage guys. None of them have fixed the issue. And so I don't know if it can be fixed at this point. Again, I'm not, going to be calling for Vance Joseph's head because I think a lot of this is he's not able to run his full scheme because he doesn't have any talent at cornerback and that's not his fault so he's doing what he can to put the guys he has out there in a in a position to be successful but at the same time I mean it's becoming kind of a joke I mean has anybody looked at TJ Hawkinson's numbers this season? Oh, I haven't. Is, are he, they are they are they any good outside of Week One? No, he hasn't. He's literally done nothing outside of the first game, and so it again comes back to this idea that you just have to roll a guy out there and. And you'll be successful against the Cardinals. Just for eight yards after week one. Yeah. And, and that's what I'm saying. Like, he's literally done nothing. So, while we can acknowledge that TJ Hawkinson will probably be a very good tight end, Mark Andrews is putting up incredible numbers, and Greg Olson is a borderline Hall of Fame tight end, it has nothing to do with the players it has everything to do with the team they're playing against. And that's, and that's what the problem ends up being. Come on next on the rise up sea red podcast. We're going to move on from last week. It's time to move on to next week. Let's take a look at what the Seattle Seahawks are. Let's scout the Seahawks coming up next on rise up sea red. We're back on the rise up sea red podcast, the best star of Cardinals talk on the web. Uh, we're not going to talk matchups necessarily, but let's, let's learn a little bit more about the Seattle Seahawks and what they've done so far. Seattle is a 2 and 1 team who has come away with two very close wins and um a loss last week on the road to the New Orleans Saints with Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback where they fell quite a bit behind and furiously came back towards the end but they never were really in a position to to win or put themselves in a position to be able to win so it's not your it's not the same type of thing. Where are the where are the strengths right now 
for the Seattle Seahawks? I mean, the strength is simply Russell Wilson. He is playing Uh at an insane level. And here's the thing. Russell Wilson is one of the best quarterbacks in football. We've got to own up to that. He, he's, he gets the recognition, but not nearly the recognition he deserves because he does things at an, an incredible levels. He, Brock Heward said on the radio, he said, leading up to last, last week, he doesn't know if, he, if Wilson has thrown a bad ball yet this year. And, and that's the thing is you don't, there's not much that you can do to stop him. Um, so when you look at it from that perspective, it's not like hope is futile type thing. I mean, this team is not your little brothers, Seahawks. I don't know. I mean, that wasn't that long ago, but they give up a copious amount of points. I mean, just over 26 points per game already this season. And they haven't exactly played world beaters. I mean, they played a bad Bengals team and won by a point. They played a Mason Rudolph-led Steelers team, gave up 26. And then they played a Teddy Bridgewater-led Saints team at home and gave up 33. Um, their pass defense is Well, here they're having not- two issues. One – they're getting nothing in terms of pressure from the Eds. Well, they don't have Jaron Reed. He's out right now, suspension. Yeah. Um, Ziggy Ansa played for the first time in week three. And as Heward said, it was an invisible 18 snaps. Jadavion Clowney hasn't done anything yet. And the secondary, without that pressure up front, it hasn't done anything. And, and so you look at it, they're, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're middle of the pack to to like low twenties in most things, but they stop the run really well. Still, um, still two of the best linebackers in football. Yeah, and so that's kind of that's kind of the thing is like when you look at this team, they're now a pass. You know, a passing team. I, <laughs> which is crazy to see. And a team that can't stop the pass, which is crazy to say. Like, this is, again, this is just not, I mean, they still run the ball a lot. Don't get me wrong. They have, Carson's got the fumbles this year. And and they're not, I mean, they're not running the ball well by any means. I mean, on this season, they have 332 rushing yards, which is basically middle of the pack, 15th overall. They've they've only run the ball 84 times. The offensive Um, line has been bad. Yeah, and so when you look at the the pros on this team, it's you know, it's it's truly Russell Wilson. I mean, it really is. And so the the question becomes: Can they can they do enough? Can the Cardinals do enough to hold down Russell Wilson and and not ask Kyler Murray? to win another game. And that was, I think, my biggest tweet from, like, this weekend that, like, that bothers me so much is that the Cardinals in the first three games have basically, like, asked Kyler Murray to win the game for them. 
like, hey, we know uh, we're not playing well. Can you just, like, bail us out? And so, I mean, that's just not fair for a, a guy in his third game of his NFL career. <laughs> and it, that and, is kind of crazy, especially because he actually did it in week one. <laughs> and so they're like, right. all right, he's a star. Right. And so take, that's it, take over, rookie. Right. And so that's the thing. So, so now you look at it and the, you know, one of my writers wrote it and it, and it's so true. Think of how different this game would have played out against the Panthers. If one drive, they, the early in the game, they found a way to get a stop. So instead of exchanging scores, you're able to you're able to get a stop right after the Cardinals score because that's the thing the Cardinals didn't open the game um, with the ball they they got a stop on defense and then their offense went right down and scored so it wasn't like they it wasn't like it was a bad situation they did exactly what what you asked them to do their defense got a fumble their offense went down and scored lickety split. Um, then it was just, then it was just downhill from here and there. And it became the, like, Hey, if you don't score a, a touchdown, every time you get the ball, you're going to fall behind because the defense is going to give up a touchdown. And so when you look at the Seahawks, they've proven this week against, um, against new Orleans, like you can, you can get out in front of them early and then, you know that they're going to come back because Russell Wilson is maybe the best fourth quarter quarterback of all time. Maybe that's hyperbole, but he's one of the best. Um, his his numbers are just like insane. And so I think when you look at it, you have to assume that this team is going to going to play well what you need though is you need to get out far enough in front that you're not asking your rookie quarterback hey i need you to go toe-to-toe with one of what the five best quarterbacks in the nfl like is that (laughs) that that's kind of what it boils down to when you look at it for the for the seahawks like just find a way to stop the russell wilson attack early because you know at some point it's going to break out. It did against Seattle. I mean, or against New Orleans. I mean, New Orleans was absolutely crushing Seattle at home, and Seattle made a game of it. And and that's what the Cardinals kind of have to do if they want to win this week. And the one other thing that you want to look at is personnel-wise in – Tyler Lockett is going to have a huge year. DK Metcalf, Russell Wilson is doing his darndest to make him into a star. And then Will Disley, who he's the tight end. That's what we're going to watch, we're going to watch for. And so they, they do have some strength in their passing game. Chris Carson, we know how good he is. He's just had the fumble so far. Um Let's wrap this up and come back in one final segment and talk about some of the matchups we want to take a look at. Seth's already talked about some of the keys that he have become an excellent Rise of Sea Red podcast. What are our predictions and what are the matchups that we're going to be looking for? That's coming up next on Rise of Sea Red. 
Back on the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Um, we're at the point now. Who are, where do the Cardinals match up favorably, and where do they don't not fav, match up quite so favorably? Um, we're going to look at for one the way the 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 defensive front for for Seattle is playing. This is a good time. Um, Ziggy Ansa. Not impactful yet. Jadavion Clowney hasn't been impactful yet. And LJ Collier, their first-round draft pick, hasn't been active. So that's something to pay attention to, especially about how bad the offensive line is played. Um, I have my eyes on the, obviously, all eyes are on Will Disley because he's the tight end, and the tight ends score and pile up the yards. He's much better than people well entering last year we didn't really know much about what they had now the the, the seahawks also as of uh thursday either tuesday afternoon traded away nick vanette and are re-signing uh luke wilson a guy that's hurt the cardinals before so you're going to be looking at a, at a at a duo of of will disley and luke, luke wilson at tight end um is there any hope for the cardinals to not give up big yards to one of those two no, Will Disley should probably have a big game. And not because it's not just because it's against the Cardinals. I mean it is just because it's against the Cardinals, but when you look at Disley's play the last 5 games, um he has some insane numbers. It's like over 280 yards receiving um so in his last 2 games he has five receptions, 50 yards, and two touchdowns, and six receptions, 62 yards, and a touchdown. Um, it's it's a bad matchup for the Cardinals anyways. And then you just add to the fact that Disley has been just a monster. Um, it, you know, not going against the Cardinals. I mean, he has he has three touchdowns already this season. Um, from the tight end position, that's that's really impressive. So I don't know if they're going to be able to stop Disley. Um, I think they're going to end up probably giving up a couple um, to him. And so, yeah, one of three tight ends to have 280-plus receiving yards and five touchdowns through their first seven NFL games. So he's only played in seven games, and he's got over 280 yards and five touchdowns. Um, and then he's a good blocker too. So he's, he's a two way tight end. And when you look at it, this is a team that has, you know, obviously given up massive numbers against tight ends. And so they're going to have to try to stop a guy that's just putting up really big numbers anyways. Um, I, I don't think there's any way to, to stop them. The other problem is this, <clears throat> Tyler Lockett broke out last week. Uh, he had a huge game against the Saints. I think he had over 150 yards receiving. And so... This is a game where they really, really, really needed Patrick Peterson. And they're going to be asking a lot out of Byron Murphy and Tremaine Brock. Especially yeah, had, with the physicality of DK Metcalf will come into play as well. Yeah, I mean, you look at it, uh, Lockett 
had 44 in week one, 79 in week two, and then he had 154 yards and a touchdown in week three. You know, you kind of brought up Metcalf. Their their passing game is is not – it's multiple because of Metcalf. He only has nine catches, only nine. So he's number four. Yeah, number four. I mean, he's – C.J. Procise has eight catches, and he plays like 12% of the snaps. Metcalf has only nine catches – He's second on the team in receiving yards by a ton. He has 217 yards receiving. So he's averaging over 24 yards per catch. He doesn't catch a lot of them. (laughs) I mean, but when he does catch them, they're going to go a long way. So that's, that's the problem is this team has, you know, kind of their, their do-it-all guy in Tyler Lockett. They have their big play guy in DJ, DK Metcalf. And then they have Disley, who's been, you know, just kind of a really solid tight end. And here's the thing. When they throw it to Will Disley, he's going to catch it. Um, he's only has 14 targets on the season. He has 12 catches. So he he catches the ball when it's thrown to him. Russell Wilson is playing at an insane clip right now. He has... Um, he's completing over 71% of his passes. He already has over 900 yards passing in only three games. He has seven touchdowns. This is one of those situations where the Cardinals better figure out quick what they're going to do, or it's going to be, um, it could get sideways pretty quick because the weapons, like you said, like Lockett, I think Murphy can do an okay job on Lockett. I think that's kind of the guy, and, and I'm probably going to get just shredded by this, but I think I think Lockett's the type of guy that Murphy was drafted to handle. I don't know if they can stop DK Metcalf and Will Disley. And when I talk about Lockett, like getting, you know, being contained, I'm talking like 60 yards on six catches. Right. You know, right. Not not 154 yards on 11 catches. So, well, yeah, yeah, that's, like, that's we're, we're 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 not talking erase. We're talking about contained, contained, right? And that's the thing is, if they can contain him, they might have a chance because, as you alluded to, I mean, Chris Carson's really struggling this year. He's at, has 159 yards rushing on the season. Um, Rashad Penny's hurt. Like I said, CJ Procise. I mean, he's out there when he's out there. The they're going to throw him the ball. He has six carries on the season. So, I mean, he hasn't done anything. Maybe, maybe he gets some more touches now that Penny's out, but this is, this is one of those games where the matchups would on paper look like they would have a positive impact on the Cardinals. But then you kind of, you kind of go, uh, it's Russell Wilson. Right. So your predictions. I, I initially thought that this was a game they're probably going to win. I see this going down to the wire, high scoring. But the way they lost last week, and just here's the simple fact. The Cardinals have not beaten Seattle at home since Russell Wilson's debut in week one of 2012 when John Skelton started at quarterback and Kevin Cobb orchestrated a comeback drive. That's the last time they won in the, that they beat 
the Seahawks in Arizona. Of course, we remember the, the 2016 tie, but I have the Cardinals falling to 0-3-1, unfortunately. This will be a competitive game, 27-24. Yeah, I think it'll be something like 30-24, to the Seahawks win this game. I hope their defense, the Cardinals, that is, finds a way to figure things out and, and get better because they just – if they don't, it's going to get sideways, and you could see a big game from Seattle, um, and and that's just that's not what we want. No, the the defense has to come up with a couple of stops early, allow the you know, give the offensive lead for more than one drive. That's that's got to be critical, and and don't let don't leave the Seahawks in a position where Russell Wilson can win them the game quite easily because. He plays he right will. in the fourth quarter. He will bring them back, and it's it's really kind of ridiculous. But it would wouldn't it be fun to see fourth quarter Russ and fourth fourth quarter Kyler duking it out there at the end of the game? Have it look like Drew Brees and Deshaun Watson in the first weekend? Woo! <laughs> that would be yeah. I mean, that would be great. I would just prefer the Cardinals just <laughs> find a way to get out in front and win. That would be fantastic. And with that, we'll wrap up this edition of the Rise Up Sea Red Podcast. We'll be back in a week. We will talk. We'll be able to talk about then. Talk about what happened with Seattle and what is the outlook looking forward as they will travel on the road to play the Cincinnati Bengals. On behalf of this edition of the Rise Up Sea Red Podcast, at Seth Cox. I'm Jess Root. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in again in a week. Thanks for listening to the latest edition of the Rise Up Sea Red Podcast. Listen to previous episodes and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Audioboom, or many other podcast platforms so shows are delivered directly to your mobile device. Please give the show a five-star rating and always support the sponsors who support the show. We'll be back soon for the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Rise up Red Sea, be Red Sea Red, and of course, rise up Sea Red.